I was making jewelry and just kind of making enough money to get by. And it was on that trip, I read a quote. And the quote was, with increased privilege comes increased responsibility. Hey, my name is Felix Tian. I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn how you can use Amazon reviews to create a superior product, what's the best use of your time when preparing for a crowdfunding campaign, and how to balance marketing your cause versus marketing your product. Today, I'm joined by Emma Cohen from Final Straw. Final Straw is the world's first collapsible, reusable straw. It had annual revenues in 2018 of $5 million. and was started in 2018 and based out of Santa Barbara, California. Welcome, Emma. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Felix. Yeah, excited to have you on. So take us on this trip that you took to Thailand and what you discovered when you were there. Yeah, so I was in Thailand and um, there for a few months. And I was on these beautiful, amazing remote beaches and would walk down and just, it was crazy because I couldn't take more than a couple steps without picking up a plastic straw. So I created this routine and every morning I would go out and I would walk the beach and I would collect straws. And by the end of my trip, I just had, you know, handfuls upon handfuls of straws and it just really hit me there that, you know, they don't have the waste management infrastructure to deal with this pollution. And then, you know, if the straws are ending up in the beaches, they're then traveling out to the oceans where they are breaking down into microplastics and getting consumed by the fish, which bioaccumulates up the food chain and into us. So it was kind of this really hard hitting uh, time in my life where I saw the direct direct impact of plastic pollution and and how it's affecting our ecosystem. And and that was really when I swore off plastic straws. Right. So you obviously were impacted by this. You saw the, the impact on the world and of course also on, on on your immediate life and you wanted to make changes here. So what made you take that step towards just seeing this problem for yourself and actually trying to build some kind of organization, some kind of business around solving this problem? Totally. So that trip was a super formative trip for me. I, before I went, I was, you know, kind of just, um, not really applying myself the way I generally do. I was making jewelry and just kind of making enough money to get by. And it was on that trip. I read a quote and the quote was with increased privilege comes increased responsibility. And so the combination of reading that quote and then seeing the the devastating effects of plastic pollution, um, I immediately went home and completely changed my life. So I moved back in with my parents and started applying to grad school and got a waitressing job and was just like, this is the turning point in my life where I need to do something different. So I got into Harvard and did my master's in environmental management and sustainability and got a job at Los Alamos National Laboratory in waste minimization and worked there for five years and then was ready for something new and different and wasn't really sure what it was. And then the stars kind of just aligned and I ended up starting to work on this project and didn't have any clue where it was going to go, but just loved it. And it's, it's really fun for me to be able to work on something where I can use my creativity and my voice uh, because at the lab, uh, you know, like creating promotional material with memes is not necessarily encouraged. And yet that's how I communicate all of my messaging. Well, a lot of it, it for Final Straw now. Um, and so, yeah, I was just super fired up and, and excited to be working on something that I was really passionate about. And then launched in April of 2018. And it just kind of was a rocket ship that it exploded and and really haven't looked back ever since. Right. So this, it sounds like you you were kind of struck by this, this, this passion idea you want to go after and just started taking steps, taking steps and keep, kept on walking on this path towards where you ended up today. Were there any points along the way though, where you're like, oh, I'm not sure that this is the, the right path for me? Like, did you ever have any doubts along the way? Not while working on the straw project. Definitely not. Um, you know, it was just always really exciting and fun. And I was learning so much every single day. Uh, I never did any, you know, business school training. And so 
to start a company is, you know, business school on crack. You just kind of dive in and and start making mistakes and and hopefully you can surround yourself with people that can uh, help direct you in, in the right way. Um, but no, no, I've never felt like it wasn't the right path. Um, I didn't have a ton of expectations going into it. I was like, I'm going to launch this project on Kickstarter, see what happens. And, you know, if the world responds and they're into it, then I'll keep going. And if the world says, you know, meh, not interested, then I'll find something else. But uh, luckily enough, the world was was very affirming and and really said, this is this is needed. We need solutions out there. You know, waste is a design flaw. So it it really was exciting and encouraging to find out that that people were really interested in in this type of item and, and inspiring because I've got a ton of other ideas that I want to work on. I like that that you mentioned about how if it wasn't going to work, you would just try something else. And this is not the first time where I've heard people basically saying that you want to be firm on your cause, but be flexible and adaptable on the solution that you're bringing to market to advance that cause. So it sounds like you had the same mentality going in. Obviously, it worked out. You know, the first kind of shot they took at this. So speaking of that first shot, where did the final straw project come from? Like, where was where? Why was it at this point in your life? Because it sounds like you had many 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 years already involved in the, the kind of space like why was it at this point in your life where this project came into to being and you decided to pursue it yeah so you know i was basically coming to uh, my five-year mark at the lab and just wasn't feeling like i could express myself creatively and i knew it wasn't something i wanted to do long term so i was looking for other things to do and i met my former co-founder and we just started talking about this idea. And and the timing was just incredible because I was like, well, I've been saving up money. I'd like to quit my job. And so I did. I quit. And I moved up to Whistler, uh, British Columbia, and was skiing and had the time to, to spend on this project. So it really was all about timing. And, and that, you know, I relate most of our success to the timing and the fact that that the world was really ready for this idea, because if we had launched even six months earlier, I think that it would have been crickets. People just weren't focusing on single use plastic the way that they are now. And especially the straw, which became this kind of gateway plastic and this beacon for an item that is incredibly low hanging fruit and something that's really easy to remove from your daily life. So timing, was it was it luck or did you see that this wave was coming and you just wanted to work as fast as possible to catch up to it? Like, which one would you attribute it more to? <laughs> it was definitely both. Um, you know, I, I'm, I have Google News Alerts for basically anything related to plastic. So I knew it was coming. I knew that um, Seattle was about to enact their straw ban. It, that came into effect in January of 2018. Um, but I didn't, what I didn't know is that Seattle was going to create a tidal wave of additional legislative uh, bans as well as uh, corporate buy-in. So not only do you have crazy sweeping of, of plastic straw bans, you also have all of these enormous corporations like Starbucks, Disney, Alaska Airlines, Marriott, all electively removing single-use plastic straws. So it all happened at once. And I, I certainly was like, you know, the Seattle straw ban is going to have an effect, but I could never have predicted that it would be this large. Mm, so, so looking back, so you mentioned that you had Google alerts and you pay attention to legislation, but looking back, were there other things that you would pay attention to? Like for someone out there that is trying to see when is the right time, when is the right timing for, or maybe they're looking for a cause to get behind. They're trying to find out what is the thing that will kind of help them ride a wave. What were some things that you would say you probably could have seen or pay attention to like what's some like green flags i guess that would have said that this was something that was going to become much much more mainstream well you know as i said the the legislation that was going into effect but then there was a huge gap in the market so there was nothing out there not a single item that was a portable reusable straw you know now when you go on amazon there's telescoping straws there's folding straws there's you know silicone there's all these different types when we launched the only types of reusable straws you could get 
were long, straight straws that were really difficult to carry with you. You know, the bamboo ones, they make your drinks taste weird. The glass ones break. Uh, so, you know, I, I went through many glass straws in my purse that would just shatter. And then I would have this like jagged glass piece in my purse. Um, and then the metal ones were equally as dangerous. Starbucks had to recall 1.8 million stainless steel straws due to mouth lacerations. So, and, and then additionally, there was no easy way to clean them. So you had these like big bulky items and, and, you know, no solution for people who want to take sustainability on the go. So it was this combination of there being nothing out there and, um, you know, what was happening with single use plastic and the conversation. You had all of these celebrities getting involved and, and, you know, really, um, elevating the conversation to the limelight. And, and so, the the combination of those two things, I would say, were the big flags. Mm, so there's this groundswell of demand and conversation, but no real supply. There's nothing out there to help actually uh, serve the demand for people out there that wanted to, like you mentioned, to have this kind of conservation, this kind of uh, uh, sustainability on the go. So how did you know what features were important to your particular solution? Like where did it begin to decide, okay, these were the things that are, because like you mentioned, there are things already out in the market that sort of did, did it, but not to, to have the kind of features that you eventually uh, employed in your product. So how did you know what would you need to include in your solution? Yeah, so that actually is is it's really nice these days that you can actually figure out those answers pretty easily. Um, you go on Amazon and you look at like what exists in the market and then you look at reviews. So what do people like about the product and what are the factors that they, they point out? And, and so going through each review and categorizing, okay, here's a point that they like, here's exactly what it is that they liked about that and really breaking it down and then looking at the other side of it. What do they not like? How could I make it more convenient? What are they complaining about? Um, and, and how often is that a complaint? Is it something that a lot of people are saying or is it like a one-off sort of complaint? So the combination of, of looking at reviews um, and then also just talking to people, you know, I would, I, we, once we started working on prototypes, we'd show it to people and everyone's first question is, how do you clean it? So we immediately knew that that easy to clean was going to be the number one thing that had to be on there. And we had to include a cleaning device. Um, then beyond that, you know, design. People love beautiful design. We all gravitate towards beautiful things. And so just, you know, like Apple has created these products that that people really go to, even though the function isn't necessarily better of an iPhone over a Droid. In fact, like the cameras on droids are way better. We all have iPhones because they're beautiful, um, you know, and easy to use. So that was another big thing. We we have to make this something that's intuitive. We don't want, we're already trying to teach people so much about, you know, carrying a straw with them, which is a massive consumer behavior change. Um, but but what can we do to make it as simple as possible so there aren't a ton of questions? Yeah, I was going to say, so you, you probably could not address every single thing that you saw in your research. So how did you know what you should actually pay attention to, what you should build into your features, and, and at least the very first couple versions, and what things you can kind of put in the back burner or maybe ignore altogether? Yeah, so, I mean, when you're designing a product, you basically create kind of three buckets. Uh, the must-haves, the nice-to-haves, and the, you know, kind of, it would be great if we could add this on, but it may not happen. Um, so with the must-haves, it was, it was really clear due to the frequency when I would read reviews and also the frequency when I would talk to people of the questions they would ask. Um, easy to clean, easy to use, uh, and, and, and beautiful design. Those were kind of the three top things that we looked at. And then from there, it was like, okay, uh, and also, sorry, uh, easy to carry. So that's why we had the keychain attachment with it. Um, from there, you kind of start to to filter down because when you're designing a product, uh, you can't include everything you want on it. Otherwise, it will be insanely expensive or huge. And you know, for us, portability was a, a you know number one factor as well. So we really wanted to keep it very compact. Um, 
so yeah, I think it, it really just has to do with the frequency that you're hearing these things. Um, and when you when you look and and scour reviews or talk to people, really pay attention to how often someone is asking a question because that means that the the rest of the world will probably be asking that question a lot as well. Got it. So it's almost like looking at the frequency of, of these kind of comments, looking for the themes. And you mentioned that you cannot, you have to say no at some point. You have to cut the, kind of cut off the, the features at a certain point. Otherwise, you have this kind of creep, right, where you're constantly adding more and more things. You manage it's going to be expensive to get it to market when, if you're adding too many things. And also, it might just take you too long, right? You might have so many ideas, so many different things you want to put into it that would take you forever to get it to market. So do, can you recall what was like maybe the hardest decision you had to make on something to not do or to do when it came to the product design? Yeah, totally. So, you know, we had basically six months to take an idea and a prototype to making a hundred thousand straws for the Kickstarter backers that we'd sold them to. Uh, Mind you, we had no idea how to do this, like literally zero. Uh, So, you know, to, to create a product in six months and deliver it in that time frame when when all you have is a prototype is super challenging. So there was a lot of decisions that that were made that were rushed. Um, so you know what comes to mind when you ask that question when we the first version of Final Straw had a drying rack and a cleaning squeegee, and I really didn't like this design. At one point we we had a conversation and. You know, I was like, this is an extra piece of plastic. Um, it's it's over-designed. I don't think people are going to use it. And I it doesn't make sense for what we're really trying to accomplish, which is, you know, using the, the minimal amount of materials to solve a problem. And so we had a whole team meeting and got together and said, well, we can either move forward with this drying rack design and deliver the majority of our product on time because we'd promised product by um, before holidays. Or we can start from scratch and we will then um, not produce product until, you know, I don't know, April or something of 2019. So the the decision was ultimately made that more good would be done with creating the product with the drying rack because um, going four more months of people not having a reusable straw is creating a ton of waste. Um, I definitely don't regret moving forward with that decision. I think that it was it was the right thing to do to also test. Is the drying rack and cleaning squeegee effective? Is this something that people are going to like and and want to use? Because, you know, my opinion is definitely not always the right way to go. And, and just because I don't like something doesn't mean the customers won't. So, you know, we really do try and test everything and and put it out for vote and use kind of a small subset of customers to to help us guide the direction of where the company is going. Hmm. So you mentioned something in there about how you had no idea actually how to create this thing beyond the initial prototypes. Talk about why you move forward anyway with the crowdfunding and putting this out to the market, even though you couldn't see the entire path to get you to producing the product. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm a risk taker. I'm an adventurist. I I just kind of like to go for it. Um so that's that's been an interesting learning lesson too. Now, you know, running a company, learning how to kind of temper the like go for it, just dive right in sort of tendencies that I have with like testing and and you know, making decisions carefully. So, you know, I think the the purpose of the crowdfunding was that we just had no idea if people were going to even like this product. You know, when I would show it to my friends before we launched, they were like, cool idea. Like, you know, you you quit your job for this. <laughs> and so I think that that no one, not a single person ever said, wow, this is going to be a hit. You guys are going to, you know, make millions. No one said that. And so um, this was crowdfunding was our way of, of dipping our toe in and seeing if this is something people even care about. And it turns out people really care about these these kind of products. So um you know, it was a really easy and, you know, low budget way to do, you know, some pretty big market validation. Mm. Based on what you've, you, you've seen or the entrepreneurs that you've met, which do you think, which one do you think entrepreneurs need more of this kind of dive right in mentality that you took on early on or the more calculated approach that you seem to be trying to adopt more as the company is maturing? 
<laughs> I think it really depends on the product. Um, you know, in terms of like tech and stuff, I would say calculated because you don't want to release um, an app and then have it not work and then lose your customer base because they're like, oh, I tried that. It didn't work. And then trying to re, you know, get that customer back in is is difficult. Um, so, you know, I think it really depends on what you're putting out there. But in general, I mean, because my approach is dive right in, I would say dive in. Um, you know, we we dove in and and no one knew that this was going to do well and it did. And so we got lucky in that respect. But there was a lot of calculated approach when it came to like creating a pre-campaign strategy, creating the marketing and the messaging, um, finding a really distinct brand voice. So though we we basically put the idea out there with no idea how to kind of like take it the next steps, there, there was a lot of calculation done ahead of time on how to build the audience, um, how we wanted to communicate, how we want to come across to people. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of was a bit of a balance of both. Mm, so it sounds like you you went heavy on the kind of marketing, the promotion, the, the branding, the audience building side, and then see if they want this product first before you invest any more time, energy, resources into, into trying to build it. Is that, is that a correct uh, kind of, uh, I guess, approach that, you, that you've taken? Yeah. And I mean, you know, additionally, we just didn't even have the time to really take the next steps we, we both quit our jobs and worked for three months straight, building this campaign, um, putting together all of the material, getting the prototype to a place that we were happy with it. So, you know, had we had more time, I think we would have looked at more of the, you know, setting up the manufacturer, getting a 3PL, but additionally, those things are super expensive and we we only had $30,000 to start this company. So there wasn't really additional budget to start, you know, investigating these, these other kind of downstream things that needed to happen. Mm. Okay. So let's talk about Kickstarter and the crowdfunding campaign. So you ultimately end up raising $1.8 million with over 38,000 backers. So, so huge success from this. Did you know that you guys wanted to go into the crowdfunding Kickstarter route to, 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 to start with, or what caught your eye towards wanting to take that, that approach to launching the business? Yeah, definitely. We, we started the project with the idea of going to Kickstarter and, you know, to to see how many people were interested. Uh, Kickstarter is a really amazing platform for being able to launch ideas and they do drive their own organic traffic. So it, it seems like a really good way to test and say, you know, is this something people want? Hmm. How long did it take you to prepare to go from the decision to say, let's launch this on Kickstarter to actually be able to to push the campaign live? Um, so we started working kind of loosely on the project in October of 2017. And, and immediately we said, we're going Kickstarter. And um, that was always the plan. But we didn't really like start spending, you know, the full-time hours until January of 2018. And then it was, you know, both of us were working full-time uh, for three and a half months to to bring the project to life. Mm. What did you spend most of the time on during this preparation phase of, of Kickstarter? Um, so, you know, getting the prototype ready. Uh, a lot of the prototype was made kind of handmade. Um, you know, we, we found someone to mock the case up in CAD, but the straw and the squeegee, uh, that we showed on Kickstarter were literally just made by hand. Um, the straw was made using medical tubing. And so we had to test all these different types of tubing, um, find out which one, you know, had the best elasticity, um, and, and then how to hold it on. We actually used orthodontist, uh, rubber bands to hold the, the tubing together. And then, um, you know, I, I spent a ton of time on the messaging and the marketing and creating the brand voice. Um, I love making memes. And I, I learned how to use Photoshop in college just because I liked making stupid, uh, you know, like memes and, and different, uh, you know, random photos of, of my friends' faces, like Photoshopped on someone else's body. And so, you know, I worked a lot on creating the social following and and getting people interested in what we were doing and excited about the launch. 
Got it. So when you look back on it, what was the best use of your time when it comes to launching on Kickstarter? I mean, I think that the, that's, that's a good question. Um, the best use of our time was the video. I mean, the video was what people really remember. Um, you know, when I talk to people who they're like, Oh, I remember that the mermaid, right. You know, that's, that's how people remember us. They remember, um, you know, the star of our video. And so we spent a ton of time writing that script and, and, and working with the production team to, to get that exactly perfect. Um, so much work in post-production too, because there, I'm an insane perfectionist. And so there's just like all these tiny little things that probably 99.9% of the world would never notice. But, um, you know, I guess like to make that a little more of a general statement, I would say developing the brand voice. Who who do you speak to? Um, what kind of words do you use? What, who How do you want to come off? Like we are kind of sassy and um, fun and sparkly and not afraid to like, you know, curse and and get our point across in a bold way. And so that developing that brand voice. And then also as we bring more people on the team, ensuring that they understand that that's how we talk and that's how we like to create messaging um, was probably the best use of my time. Yeah. So, so the understand your customers, develop that brand voice, figure out how to, to, to set up the messaging, like what is the messaging that you're going to put out there? These are all what you consider the, 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 what you spend most of your time and also where you found that is, was the best use of your time. So what, what do you actually do when you're trying to develop this? Like, is it just time spent like thinking and ruminating over this? Like, what is the exercises? What are the practices that you have to put into place to kind of discover the, the, the voice of the brand? Luckily, our target customer is me. So I got to just really think about what I like and and what I would want to see in the world. And you know what I'm what I like seeing are companies that are fun, exciting, have interesting messaging, and are silly. So it was like basically creating something that I wanted to see in the world, which was really, really fun. Um, you know, in terms of, of spending of how I come up with the ideas. I just go on super late night, uh, you know, down the Google rabbit hole and, <laughs> you know, looking at, at what others are saying, what other memes are out there. Um, you know, uh, any random weird idea, I just start Googling and, and seeing what else is out there. And, and, you know, is it something that I'm, um, coming up with completely or, that's completely original or are there already things that, that exist that I can look at to inspire me? Um, certainly brainstorming is, is my favorite way to come up with these. Like when we're working on new scripts now, I'll work with someone else and we just kind of spend two hours on the phone, like throwing jokes back and forth and saying, is this funny? Is this stupid? Cause I never know. I have like the sense of humor of a 14 year old boy. So I'm like, <laughs> is this funny to just me or like, will other people laugh? <laughs> mm. Yeah, you mentioned that this was an important thing for a Kickstarter campaign, but I think it's also important even without just just in general, which was that you spent a lot of time trying to understand how your customers talk. So can you explain more about this? Like, where were you looking to determine, to figure out how they're talking? Because like you said, you are your target customer, but for someone out there that maybe doesn't feel that as closely tied to their to their brand, where do they go to do this kind of research? social media. So look at the comments that people leave. Um, this is also where you can look at other brands. How, if you're, if you know that your target customer is buying, say a hydro flask, um, you know, for our purposes, that's uh, hydro flask is a great example of a company that, that our customers are also buying from. What are they saying in the comments there? You know, like exact and really diving down into the exact language. Like for us, a big question was like, are we a collapsible straw or a foldable straw? So we kind of would put out both sets of those language and see what people resonated with. So doing a lot of A-B testing on, um, you know, in ads and seeing, okay, which exact words are we going to use? Because you want to be mimicking the language that your customers use because that resonates with them. That feels familiar and, and they're going to feel, you know, a deeper connection if you're using the words that they would actually use. 
Mm. So you take the, the the comments that that are on your social media or on your on on competitors or even other kind of uh, like similar brands uh, social media profiles, like what pe- what the customers or what the audience is commenting on. How does that get used? Is it is it you mentioned in the ads? Like where else do you use the the language of your customers? Yeah, so we use it all over. Um, we'll pull direct comments and use it for ads. Um, maybe it's a question that we see a few customers coming up with. So then we write a blog post on that. Um, you know, it, we use what our customers are saying to inspire the direction that the brand is going. You know, looking at future products, what colors do they want us to add? Uh, what nonprofits would they like to see us support? You know, ultimately, the brands that succeed have a dedicated customer base. This isn't just like, oh yeah, I I use this item. It's like I go out and I tell my friends about this this incredible thing that has, you know, added so much joy to my life. And we want to make sure that that's the kind of relationship we have with our customers. It's it's intimate. It's it's um it's more than just a straw. It's um a conversation starter. It's it's where you know people are able to really. Um, feel connected to this movement around single-use plastic because ultimately, um, when you look at the news and and read the headlines, it's really easy to feel um, like the problems are so big that we can't solve them. So we want our customers to feel empowered that though it is just a straw, it is one step. It is the perfect beginning step towards living a life using less and then also sharing that message with your friends, coworkers, you know, random person sitting next to you at the bar that says, what's that when you pull out your final straw? Hey, real quick, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear more of. Now let's get back to the interview. Mm, makes sense. Okay, so you also said that images are important, things that you pay attention to, the photos out there. Is that the same strategy, looking on social media, or where else can you determine what kind of content, visual content, your customers want to see? Yeah, totally. So, you know, I look at the way that people post photos of their straws, and then we, you know, will mimic similar photos in photo shoots. Um, I look at color schemes. I look at um, you know, how do people set this up? Because a lot of times, like someone will c- create a photo of a final straw and I'll be like, that was a genius way to position that. And then we'll use it. Um, that's, you know, that's the beauty of, of social media. Now everyone's putting this information out there for brands to learn from. Um, you know, in addition, I look at what other items are they carrying with their straw? So like, let's say, you know, someone is posting a photo of their final straw with a corksicle water bottle. Then I'm going on Corsicle. I'm looking at what colors they're doing. I'm looking at, you know, the the their newsletters, really everything. I subscribe to way too many newsletters because I want to see what other companies are sending out, what kind of promotions they're doing, um, you know, how often they're sending them. Uh this is this is the kind of scrappy way when you've never started a company before to just learn from everything around you. Uh this is my first company. So it's like you know, learning so much, making so many mistakes, and and also just trying to surround myself with with the people and the information to to make the best company possible. Mm. I, I like that that you there's this kind of art and science, right, to to brand building and marketing. But you've pr- taken an approach of starting with the science first by seeing what's working first, and then maybe adding your own creativity, your own art to it, rather than just kind of going down this path and staying inside your own head and not seeing what's already successful out there. So you've taken an totally. approach first of seeing what's successful, start from that, start from that as your, your kind of foundation and build from there. Do you have any examples where this has led you down the wrong path? I mean, I think that that you know, some of the times when I've implemented it the wrong way is, is by not thoroughly testing these things. You know, for example, um, we just released our black straws. Uh, and so they come in two variations, a black straw with a black straw and then a black, or sorry. So it's a black case with a black straw or a black case with a gold straw. I was certain that the black case with the gold straw was going to do a million times better. So we ordered way more of those. And yet, you know, we released it and black on black is doing twice as good. So um, the the mistakes that are made are because I'm not thoroughly testing it. And as soon as I start believing that my opinion will be the result without looking 
you know, out. And, and the thing is the other people, everyone else on the team thought the same thing, but we didn't test it. And so really everything, all of the answers are in the testing and, you know, entrepreneurs that, that aren't looking to test every variation and aren't willing to pivot. Um, and maybe that are married to their idea over the, the, what I would call the best idea. Um, that's where you're going to see a lot of failure. And I've seen it in the past with companies that, you know, have come to me for advice. And I say, look, you gotta, you gotta change your name. It'll never work with that name. And they don't test it. They just move forward with that name and then it doesn't do well. And it's like, well, um, you know, that's the, <laughs> that you got it. You got to put all of these things out there and you have to be willing to pivot. Cause if you don't, um, you'll get, you know, stuck in your own quicksand. Mm. So there's nothing better than putting out there and seeing the results as like the true test. And, you know, like I think what you're getting as testing at a smaller scale before you place such a huge order. The other thing that you mentioned that you've done is that instead of spending a bunch of money on focus groups to find what people want, you just go and ask your your audience. So like from things like the colors and it's the kind of products that they might want to see you guys launch. How do you where does the conversation happen? Like, how do you open the door to having these conversations with your with your audience? So there's kind of two different ways that we'll do it. First of all, we'll just do a poll. Um, you know, some of our the posts that we have with the highest engagement are when we do color contests. Um, people are so excited to be involved in the creation of the next product. And so we get incredible engagement. Um, we have kind of three tiers of, of different audiences. So we have our ambassador crew, which is like a really tight group of people who pass through our training and, and really want to be directly involved with the company. That's about uh, 500 or so people. Uh, so we can use that for the smaller tests. Then we've got our final crew, which is a private Facebook group um, of about, I think, 7,000 people. And, and then we can kind of test things on a larger uh, scale there. So maybe that's where we, we've narrowed down some of the information. And then we want to see what this, this next, you know, tighter group says. And then we can open it up to the wide audience and say, you know, hey, what do you guys think of this? Um, the second way to test is just simple A-B testing and ads. So, you know, do you don't need and it's really inexpensive is the beauty of it. You can do put $100 behind an ad and an A-B test with two different images, look at your click-through rate. And then, you know, once a winner has been decided, then you can really focus on, on that image. Um, beyond that, you can also test copy and, and start to see what, what people are really responding to. Um, it depends also on the type of engagement you want. Are you trying to just get clicks? Are you trying to see what's what's eye-catching? Are you trying to actually create a conversion? Because sometimes you'll you'll create an image that might get more clicks, but then you won't create the conversion the way you want it. So so really focusing in on on what you want to test, and then implementing a test to to get a proper result. Mm. Now, when have, has there been a time where a customer, I think this is in line with what you're saying too, have there been times where customers have given you feedback and then their actions don't reflect their, their feedback? Mm, yeah. So, you know, it, in, when I was talking about the, having the version one of the straw with the drying rack, um, you know, people, when we, when we came out with the version two without the drying rack, people were like, wait, I missed the drying rack, even though our reports had said that people weren't using it. So, you know, it's, it's, that brings up more questions of are people just missing it because we're removing it or was it actually being in use more than we found through tests? Um, I don't really know. But yes, of course, there's, there's tons of times where, you, where people are going to say that they're going to do something that they might not actually follow through with. And that's, you know, one one hard thing about testing, especially when it comes to the environmental sphere, you you can run tests and say, would you pay 50 cents more for uh, an eco-friendly product? And people will say yes. But then you you see in, in action that a lot less people will actually do it. So you always have to keep that in mind when when running these tests, if, if you're asking a specific question like that. Mm. And when it comes to running ads to do these tests, do you, can you do the same thing or have you done the same thing to determine uh, products to release or product features or colors, like things that are related more to product development itself? Uh, no. So in terms of product development, we really are doing these polls 
and and asking people directly what you'd like to see next. Um, we haven't done it for ads because you know generally if you're running an ad, you 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 have the product already, or um, you know unless you're doing a presale. Um, in terms of looking at what products to do next, this is where I'm really focusing on what because I am the target customer. It's what I want. It's what I really need um, and and wish existed in order to reduce my own personal, you know, single use waste. And so I'm I'm really able to look at my behavior and my daily actions and and say what would make my life easier in order to live zero waste. And so those are, that's how I'm basically determining what products are next. Mm. So speaking of the the ads, then that are that are more focused around the branding or the messaging and you know, the copy and the the photos, would you ever want to optimize an ad towards clicks rather than like conversions or purchases? Like, what's the kind of strategy uh, when it comes to to the ads? Like, what is the ultimate goal for for you guys? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it really depends what your ad is is leading to. Um, we recently started working on a blog. And so for there, we're not looking for conversion. We're just trying to get people onto the blog um, and, and find the blog so that they can say, they can find another resource for educating themselves around single-use plastic waste. Um, ultimately, I didn't start this company to sell a bunch of products. I started it to educate people and raise awareness around single-use plastic and promote behavior change. So, you know, yes, we do sell straws, but but that's not the purpose of of what we're doing. Um, so we certainly do, you know, just create ads to to get engagement. Um, additionally, we want to draw people to our Instagram account. So if you're um, you know, creating an, an ad that's for engagement versus conversion. Um, it's going to show to a lot more people that might not be in a, you know, directly within your audience, but that's how we get people. Oh, what is that? Oh, that looks fun and exciting and interesting. I would like to follow that account. And then, you know, if you check out our Instagram account, it's really dense with information. So we're really trying to um, go beyond just selling straws and and tell people about what is happening in the world, ways to reduce your impact, and and also create a community where people can connect with each other and and share their own personal journeys. Mm, yeah, definitely want to touch on the platform that you've created for education in a second. Before we get there, the the ambassador crew, the final crew, uh, the Facebook group. So you said ambassador crew has about five hundred people. The final crew Facebook group has about seven thousand. And I'm guessing the last group is just your entire email list or social media that you put this this out to. Does a feedback change from level to level? Definitely. I mean, we from our ambassador group, we get really detailed feedback. Um, and, and, you know, we're, we're forming relationships with all of these people at uh, very direct, um, you know, when it comes to the feedback that we get from the larger world, I mean, people who don't know the brand, they don't understand why anyone would even use a straw. So, you know, it's, it's these different kind of levels of engagement and understanding for what the issues are and, and why we exist and why we do what we do. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, if, if you're, answer to reducing single-use plastic waste is to just not use a straw like like that is absolutely 100% the best way to reduce your waste um if you're the type of person that that really wants or needs a straw um then here we provide a sustainable alternative mm. what about the guidance does the guidance change from level to level meaning like could an ambassador the ambassador crew members say that they want something that then the larger group just is just not marketable like they don't they that they don't want like how do you balance the the kind of feedback that you get when it comes to giving you guidance and direction on where to take the company next yeah you know it's it's tough because the ambassadors they want more swag they want to be able to really rep the company and i'm trying to figure out what's the best way to move forward to to sustainably rep what we're doing um, without just creating a bunch more waste. The apparel industry is the second most polluting industry out there. So uh, I'm not really wanting to go into creating a bunch of shirts and, and, you know, items that we'd have to stock a ton of inventory and then, um, you know, continue to contribute to that, that industry. So trying to find a balance. It's not saying that I'll never go into apparel, but um, it's, it's a, it's a tough uh, thing to really integrate into your company because there's just a lot of waste in that area. And, and then, you know, a lot of different sizes and colors that everyone wants, but 
Yeah. I mean, back to the question, I do wait what the ambassadors are saying because they are involved with the brand on, on a really regular basis. And so if it's something that I'm hearing a lot and I'm, I'm hearing it from, you know, over and over from ambassadors, I will definitely take it very seriously. But at the end of the day, the opinion of, you know, any customer is the week equally weighted with ambassadors. I want, you know, I don't want one person to necessarily feel like, like their opinion is going to dictate what I do to a higher level. I, I'm, I want to appease our customers and I also want to do what's right for our company. And so, you know, all of the decisions I make are based along the fact of, is this going to increase awareness around single use plastic waste? Is this going to make it easier for people to reduce their waste? And, you know, is this, is this going to make it easier for people to share the message? And if it doesn't check one of those boxes, then it's not really a, a direction that I'm willing to go. Okay, so speaking of increasing awareness and educating consumers so that they, the ultimate goal is to change consumer behavior. And you mentioned that the education platform that you've created is a way to do that. And you, you, you mentioned to us that you have now found a balance between promotion and communicating, uh, and I guess, and, and educating the, the, your, your audience. What is that balance for you guys? I would say probably 70, 30. If, if I had to just kind of ballpark a, a percentage, you know, 70% being education and awareness and 30% promoting the product. And, um, you know, I, I can scan through our Instagram and look at, at, at how that's weighted, but you will see that the majority of what we're posting is about um, the issues and, and ways for people to reduce their waste. And so, you know, I think it, it, it certainly will change. Um, and, and fluctuates depending on the month, you know, we're entering into holidays. And so it's, it's definitely going to be more product focused. Um, but, uh, you know, and plastic free July, for example, was entirely, uh, issue focused for the entire month. We, we tried to educate and show people ways to live zero waste. So it fluctuates, but overall, I would probably say about 70, 30. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like this was something that you had to work to get get better at. Were there things that you might have done wrong when you first started this out in terms of balance between the communication slash education and the promotion side? I mean, if it was up to me, it would be, you know, 99% education and 1% <laughs> product. So I think that uh, my team is always pushing me to 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 keep that balance and to ensure that that you know we, we aren't a nonprofit we're not just there to educate um we still need to uh you know sell straws in order to pay the bills so um you know i think that it that as time has gone on i've seen where where that balance needs to lie and and the team you know also puts in their opinions and so um it, it it really just has to do with testing. Where where do people respond? And the thing is, when we send out emails that are entirely educationally focused, um, they still create a spike in sales. Yeah. So so one thing that you wanted to to get, uh, I guess, kind of clear and across to a lot of entrepreneurs is that if you have an idea that you're passionate about and a problem that you want to solve, like you've discovered, it's possible to follow your passion and create a company with a mission that aligns with those values. So what's, what's the key advice that you give to someone out there that is pursuing a business based on on a passion for a cause? Um, I would say... Uh you know, put everything you have into it. Um, being an entrepreneur is, is really difficult and you have to be willing to make a lot of sacrifices. So, you know, I have no social life and I work all the time and I, you know, that's just my life and it's great and I love it. And, you know, I do make sure to dedicate an hour a day to physical activity because that's super important for just keeping healthy. Um, but, you know, first of all, just be ready to make those sacrifices. Second of all, um, you know, f- find your voice and, and target your, your, uh, marketing towards a very specific group of people. Um, if you try and make it something that everyone will resonate with, it dilutes the message and it, it makes it meaningless. So, you know, hone in on your voice and hone in on the, the kind of messaging and, and branding you want to see. Um, and then test it, go out there and see, you know, is this something the world responds to? Um, I get 
a lot of messages from people that are starting Kickstarters and really excited. And I was recently chatting with a company, you know, they're, they're so sure they're going to make a million dollars at the Kickstarter. Well, they launched and, and it was crickets. So it's like, you know, make sure that, that behind what you're doing, you're doing it for the right reasons. And I was never working on this project to make money. It was never in even like my site at all. Um, the fact that the company is doing well is is such an added bonus and and so exciting, but it was never the driving factor. Um, so if money is your driving factor, working on a, a company with a mission is, you know, to solve that a problem may not be the the right path. And not to say that that's wrong. If that's your mission, that's fine. But it just it doesn't really align with with creating a company with a mission because the mission has to be the most important thing and, and nothing can come in the way of it. So, you know, I've, I've, there's been investors that I haven't brought on board because they don't understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, on Shark Tank, Kevin O'Leary called us a mission with a product as an insult. And I was like, yeah, we are like, that's why we're doing what we're doing. So, um, you know, making sure to surround yourself with people that that get it and never diluting your message for people that don't. Amazing. So finalstraw.com is a website. What would you say needs to happen for you and for the company this year for you to consider this year a success? Um, well, I'm busting my butt to get Final Fork launched this week winner. And so really hoping that's going to happen. Um, but I'm not going to launch it until it's, it's really perfect. So, um, we'll see, I get, I get some, the new round of prototypes in tomorrow. So I'll, I'll be able to see, but honestly, this year has already been a success. We've, you know, engaged with so many people. Um, we launched in REI all stores, which is the, such a dream come true. I, when I first started working on this project, I went to REI and just like, you know, big doe eyes walking around like, what if one day? And it's crazy mm-hmm. because like, mm-hmm. you know, a year and a half later, here it is. We're in all REI stores. So um, it's a huge success. And, um, you know, we're just really trying to build out more of our programs and getting more ambassadors on so that they can spread the mission and and building out the team. So it's been a success and and really excited for you know, holidays, which are all always crazy and final straw is kind of this ultimate stocking stuffer. So excited to see, um, you know, more people gifting this and, and getting more people on board with, um, you know, raising awareness around ways to reduce single use plastic. Awesome. Again, finalstraw.com, sign up for the email list to hear more about those upcoming awesome sounding products. And thank you so much for your time, Emma. Yeah, thanks, Felix. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify. 